the peacemaker. The lawyers were all dead. Luther Millenford liked it that way because that meant he was in control. Today, he was going to set right or wrong. He was going to the peacemaker. It had been 43 years since a lawyer had set foot in any of the thousands of courthouses across the country, buildings that were now converted into restaurants, museums, or, in many cases, raised. The peacemaker was a monolithic mainframe computer housed in Washington, D.C. It was connected by a vast network throughout the United States, installed with programming that contained every fact, the reasoning, conclusions, and dissents of every known legal case from every reported state and federal decision since 1847, updated as recently as last week. It was a spectacular achievement, the centralization, modernization of the law. When Luther filed his complaint, the first for him, he had read that judgments were made in, the, made in seconds by the peacemaker. He only had to show up at the appointed time at the East District Dispute Resolution Center, tell the peacemaker his side of the story in one of its testimonial pods, answer questions the machine generated, and then wait for a result. Through cross-analysis of the facts presented of every known case, and specially re regionalized state court analysis for Texas, which refused participation in the nationalization project, the peacemaker rendered its judgment. Even outright lies from a witness couldn't fool the peacemaker, not with the pulse monitoring, infrared scans of brain activity, demeanor analysis, and the perspiration indicator, all of which could spot an untruth 99.3% of the time. While not everyone was happy with the outcomes, all seemed to agree the expeditious handling of disputes was an improvement. At least we're not paying the lawyers, was a familiar refrain. So it was when Luther filed his complaint with the peacemaker. Luther was sure he was in the right against McVeigh's grocery mart. It had been such a bad day to begin with when it happened. Luther was finishing his last day at the telecom company, fired as part of automated workforce production, and on his way home to an empty house. His wife had left a month before. She had taken their little boy with her. He didn't fight it. The boy was better with her. She could control him. At that point in his life, Luther felt he couldn't control anything. When Luther discovered the error on his grocery account the next day, he tried to work it out with Mr. McVeigh, insisting he did not buy the two pies that were on the receipt. McVeigh wouldn't budge, insisting that his self-checkout system did not make errors. The old Luther would have let that error slide, not the new Luther. He would fight it. The line outside the resolution center was long, but everyone was smiling, pleased with the ease of the process. There must be have been 500 testimonial pods inside, Luther estimated. With his ticket in hand, he followed the painted line to pod 284. Luther had written down what he'd wanted to say and kept it in his pocket. Inside the pod, the air was chilled. Luther sat in the leather chair, pulled down the microphone, and put it in front of his mouth like the instructions stated. He placed the pulse monitors over his fingertips. He sat still for several minutes in complete silence. A green lighted scan moved over him. Good morning, Mr. Milford, and thank you for coming today, said a pleasant female voice over the intercom, its tone engineered for smoothness. I have your paperwork. 
I have heard testimony of the accused, Mr. McVeigh. I have accepted evidence from Mr. McVeigh as to the events about which you have filed suit. Luther nodded as if listening to a person in front of him. Please tell me what happened. Luther cleared his throat and reached for his pocket to retrieve his bullet points, but the pulse monitors got in his way and he couldn't get to them. No problem, he thought. I went in and started to buy, he began. When and where, she interrupted. Please start from the beginning and speak as clearly and comprehensively as you can. Yes, Luther said. On Friday, December 21st, I needed some items from the grocery store. I went to Mr. McVeigh's. I picked up milk, frozen pizza, six-pack of beer, and he paused, trying to remember the receipt. It was in his other pocket. He had provided a copy with his complaint, though. Your receipt indicates the following, she said, and read off brand names of the items he just listed and one container of McVeigh's generic coffee grounds, and one chocolate cream pie, and one vanilla iced pumpkin pie. But I didn't buy the pies, Luther said. He could feel his pulse quickening, his fingers twitching. I've read your complaint and understand your allegation, she said. Do you understand that you purchase items in your cart when you leave the store? Yes. And the store's input receptor collects scans of each item and automatically withdraws that amount from your account, correct? Yes, but I didn't have pies. Please take a look at Exhibit C provided by Mr. McVeigh, she stated. A small movie screen illuminated above him. It was a still image of Luther walking out of the store, pushing his small cart. Is this you? Yes. Luther could see the bag with the milk and the bag with the beer. He focused on his face and how drained of color it looked. His eyes were red. Please look at the bottom of the cart, she said, zooming in. On the bottom, unwrapped, were two pies. Luther felt his stomach tighten. I didn't buy those, he said. They are on your cart, and you have exited the store, correct? But I didn't know they were on there. They had to have been there before I got the cart. You stated you understand the contractual obligation of entering and exiting the store, and that you understood you purchased items on your cart as you exited the store, and you expressly authorized automatic withdrawals for all items in your cart, correct? But they were on there before I got the card. I didn't put them there. A contract is a contract, she said. Trying again to reach into his pocket, knocking off one of the pulse monitors, Luther stood up. Let me get something out of my pocket, he said. He knocked off two more of the monitors, and the green light cast over him turned red. His foot was tangled on the wire, and he kicked out, hitting the lower front of the machine. He kicked again, harder, to get the wire off couldn't get into his pocket. Please take your seat or security will be summoned, she said. Luther felt sweat on his brow and reached up with the back of his hand to wipe it off, but the cords from the pulse monitor scratched across his face. He put his arm down and let out a deep breath. Resigned. Keep the money, he said. As he said it, there was a sudden flash in the room. The lights went dim, then completely dark. There was a buzzing sound behind the walls before the lights came back on. Luther looked around. The familiar hum of the pod returned. Thank you, Mr. Milliford, her voice returned. Now let me show you Exhibit C. The movie screen was blank. There was a buzzing again, maybe more than a buzz. Suddenly, he heard a rattling behind the wall like someone was shaking a glass of marbles. He heard a thump, and then her voice again as the lights flickered. Let me show you, she said haltingly. Let me show you. 
All the lights went dark again. Luther sat back down, hardly able to see his hand in front of his face. He thought he smelled smoke, but abruptly the lights came back on. The green glow cast over him again. Then her voice. It appears, Mr. Mellonford, that Mr. McVeigh did not provide an Exhibit C as required under Code 3576 to satisfy seller's burden of purchase. A programming anomaly indicated incorrectly that he had. As a result of Mr. McVeigh's failure to comply with Code 3576, my only question is, do you contest that you possess the chocolate cream pie and vanilla ice cream pumpkin pie on your shopping cart when you left McVeigh's? Luther said quietly, confused. He was thirsty. The movie screen was still blank. I repeat, do you contest that the two pies were on your cart when you exited McVeigh's? If so, and due to Mr. McVeigh's failure to provide proof of the same, Mr. McVeigh may only collect from you if you admit the pies were on your cart. Luther took in a breath and swallowed. I contest it, he said, starting to smile. Finally, he thought. He was owed one. Then the fund shall be redeposited into your account. He heard a printer starting from behind the far wall. I am printing the judgment in the amount of plus interest. Lights flashed again, brighter this time, before going black for the third time. Luther stood up and took the remaining monitors off his fingers. He was ready to get out of here. The printer resumed. The lights returned. He heard a piece of paper drop onto the drawer below the printer. The evidence is concluded and judgment rendered, Mr. Millenford, she said, her voice louder and firmer. You have been found guilty. Please take your seat until the officers arrive. Officers? Luther asked, opening the drawer and reaching in. What? You, you just said I could get back my $22. He picked up the paper in the drawer, reading, Count one, guilty, first degree murder. Count two, guilty, possession of a firearm by a felon. He heard the door start to open and command from someone on the other side. Sit down, put your hands up, we are coming in. Luther looked at the door's small window but only saw the outline of a helmet. Wait, Luther walked toward the door to open it. Get down, the man shouted. Please sit, she said over the intercom. There's a glitch, Luther said loudly, waving to the men outside. The lights keep going on and off. The door burst open and two uniformed officers grabbed Luther and threw him down, pulling his arms backward and cuffing him. In pain, his arms wrenched behind him. Luther shouted, this is all a mistake. I bet, the taller officer said, stepping back. No, you don't get it, Luther twisted and felt the cuffs was loose on his left hand, so he gave a little tug and it fell free. Luther pulled himself up. Listen, it's free, the short one shouted and tripped backwards over the wire. Luther reached for him. Luther never saw the other officer fire his gun. In the aftermath, their helmets removed. The two officers shook their heads in disbelief. Second one this week, the tall one said, turning to the peacemaker's microphone. Officer Myers reporting in the case of State v. Millenfield. He looked at the case number on the top of the bloodied sheet in Luther's hand. Convict attempted to flee and assault was put down. Please include in report and send in cleanup team. Affirmative, she said. Case closed. Three weeks later, 
during routine self-maintenance. The peacemaker recognized a diagnostic anomaly that inadvertently set free a convicted murderer. Proper local authorities were notified and the murderer, Roy Millenfield, was apprehended without incident. Internal testing uncovered pictures from a grocery store that were mixed in with the criminal defendant's files. No other records were found and no further inquiry was made. It was determined to be an innocuous anomaly that otherwise did not affect the infallibility of the system.